your guests, thank you so much for coming. And don't forget, if you haven't turned that card in, take it to one of these folks after the service. They'll give you a free gift. Tis the season, right? Um, speaking of giving, uh, we are in the middle of our missions giving opportunity for world missions. Our goal is $20,000. Three-fourths of that goes to missions overseas through the International Mission Board, and 25% of that goes to Kentucky. So we don't keep any of it here for our church, uh, but if you give to that, we will send that forward, and I hope that you will give generously as God leads. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you now for the time to look at your word. We pray that you would hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. As we look at integrity on trial. And everybody say hello to everybody watching on Facebook Live. Hello. All righty. That's great. Let me begin with a story. One winter day, about a week before Christmas, a guy was shopping at the local shopping mall. He got out of his car and he walked into the mall and bought some presents and put them in the packages, you know, that carries these bags out to the car. And he gets to the car and he noticed there's a foul odor, a smell coming from underneath his hood. And so he opens up the hood and he sees a dead possum. It got caught in the fan belt. And it is mangled and mutilated and dead. What am I going to do? He thinks to himself. And so he says, I'll, I'll take the gifts, the items I purchased out of one of these uh, packages, one of these bags, and I'll, I'll put the possum in there. And so he does. And then he's like, I need to go in and wash my hands. So he walks back into the mall. He almost gets to the door to wash his hands. And he realized, you know, I forgot to bring that possum in. There's a trash can over here. I, I, I need to go get that. So he turns around and starts to walk back toward his car. And then he sees a lady standing there right next to his car looking at that package. And she looks this way and that way and the other way. She doesn't see anybody coming. She thinks she's got a find. She doesn't know what's in there. She grabs the bag and takes off and walks inside the mall. The guy's thinking, this is too good to be true. So he follows her from a distance into the mall to see what's going to happen next. She walks into a restaurant. She sits down to open up her prize to see what's in the bag and when she looks inside, she screams and faints because she just saw the dead, mutilated possum. Well, the restaurant workers call 911. An ambulance goes to the mall. They get the lady onto one of those gurneys. They strap her down, and they're heading toward the ambulance door. The guy picks up the bag behind her and is walking behind her, following her all the way. She is put inside the ambulance, but before they close the door, 
he says, ma'am, you forgot your package and sets it on her chest. <laughs> it doesn't pay when we don't walk in integrity. It's a challenge for all of us in many different ways. But today we're going to look at a man, a young man, who chose by God's grace to walk in integrity, dear, integrity during a difficult season of his life. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, the Jewish betrothal was much more binding than our modern engagements. And it usually lasted from 10 months to a year. Well, during their betrothal, a couple would actually be called husband and wife. Though they could not yet consummate the marriage, this commitment could only be broken by divorce. Verse 18 continues. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Here he is betrothed to this young lady, teenage girl. And this betrothal is so serious, it can only be broken by divorce, yet they have not yet come together physically and consummated the marriage. They are, in a sense, married. And yet, he discovers that she's expecting a child, and he's not the dad. What in the world do you think Joseph is thinking? Obviously, Mary has been with another man. What in the world am I going to do? I thought she was so sweet and so innocent and so godly and kind. But look at what she has done. I can't believe she would have done this to me. It's just not like her. I don't understand it. And so Joseph has a dilemma. And I want us to watch and see how he responds and apply that to our own lives individually and together. Matthew tells us in verse 19 that Joseph was a just or righteous man, but what in the world does that mean? Well, to a Jew, being righteous meant zealous in keeping the law. The English word for righteous was originally spelled right-wise, meaning to go in a right way or having right conduct. Joseph was all about righteous living. And the Bible has a lot to say about the benefits and the necessity of righteous living. Psalm 92.12 says, The righteous flourish like a palm tree. Psalm 112 verses 4 and 6 says, Even in darkness, light dawns for the compassionate and righteous man. A righteous man will be remembered forever. Proverbs 3.33 says, God blesses the home of the righteous. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. Shining brighter and brighter until full day. Proverbs chapter 10 tells us the lips of the righteous nourish many. What the righteous desire will be granted. The righteous stand firm forever. The prospect of the righteous is joy. The righteous will never be uprooted. Over and over again and again, the Bible says we are called to live righteously. And God honors that. Some of you may be saying, well, yeah, that's the Old Testament. Well, let's go to the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus is speaking. He says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after 
righteousness, for they shall be filled. In Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? 1 Timothy 6, 11 commands us to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. The problem is when we become self-righteous. Don't raise your hand, but do you know anybody who lives a life that's self-righteous? They think they're better than everybody else. They think they're more amazing than everybody else. They're constantly judging you and judging others and looking down on all the other people around it because they just think they're amazing. Reminds me of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus told about a, a Pharisee who went to the temple to pray. And he says, I thank thee, O God. I'm not like other men. I fast. I tithe. I am just so good. You're lucky to have me, he says, basically. The tax collector won't even look up toward heaven. He beats his chest and says, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And Jesus said that the tax collector, the hated, despised tax collector of Jesus' day went home right with God, but the Pharisee did not. Romans 3.10 says there is none, say the word none with me, none righteous, not even one. I cannot be right with God in my own so-called goodness. Neither can you. Neither can anyone else. No, we must have the righteousness of Christ. But that is not a license to sin. That is liberty to serve. That is not a reason for sloppy living. That is a challenge and a call that we follow Jesus Christ out of gratitude for everything that he has done for us. Verse 19 continues. Because Joseph, Mary's husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. According to the law, he had every right to divorce Mary, and he didn't have to do it quietly. He could have demanded the death penalty, and he might have gotten it. Some say that if she didn't get stoned for adultery, Mary could have been stoned for blasphemy. Saying, well, this child came from God. But Joseph is not out for revenge. And he doesn't get in a big hurry. He doesn't demand his rights. He's pondering. And no doubt praying about what he should do next. Because a truly righteous person is also a compassionate one. Too often, we're the opposite. We don't get mad. We get even. Sometimes we do it loudly. We yell at people or we post things on Facebook or Twitter that we really shouldn't say. Sometimes we do it more quietly. It's a lot more subtle. We hold it inside, but all along we are getting our revenge. Maybe you heard about the, the lady who was married to a, a man who was very difficult to, to live with. And he was rude and, and obnoxious and constantly on her case about stuff and just just was extremely difficult to live with, and she was just sweet and kind and always being nice to him. And somebody asked her one day, how do you do it? I know the guy you're married to. I know how he lives. How do you treat him with such kindness? 
She says, well, nobody knows this. Every morning when he gets up and leaves for work, after he leaves the driveway, I walk into the bathroom and I find his toothbrush. I walk over to the commode and I swoosh it around the commode a few times. I set it back in the holder and he never knows the difference. Monique and Michaela and I were talking uh, this week and Michaela had a confession to make. She said, Mom and Dad, you remember when we lived in Katy? That's where we lived before we were here. And I was like, you know, just a little kid. She's like four or five, six years old maybe. And I would get really mad at you. And then you would have me go set the table. Well, before I, it's not going in the commode, okay? Just don't tell you that. But before... We eat. I would go over there and I would lick all of the knives and the forks and the spoons and set them on the table. <laughs> it's funny because Monique said sometimes after she would do it, Monique not knowing what had happened said, hey, let's change that fork in for a salad fork. And she would put the fork back into the silverware drawer. But we get our revenge in one way or another. We can do that. But God says... Vengeance is mine. I will pay, says the Lord. Hear the words of Romans 12, 14 and following. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Return good for evil, the Bible says. But that's difficult to do, is it not? Joseph was a righteous man, and he was a compassionate man. Joseph was also a patient man. Verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph's got an idea in mind. I really can't marry this girl after what she has done. She's expecting a baby from another man. I really can't go through with his marriage. But he's not ready to do anything just yet. He's going to think about this. He's going to pray about this. And I'm not going to do anything that's going to expose her publicly. I'm going to try to keep this as quiet as I can. Joseph is conflicted. He still doesn't know that the baby came from God. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel came to Joseph to give him a fuller picture of the truth. Too often we make bad decisions because... We get impatient, and we don't know the whole truth. And patience is an almost forgotten virtue in our world today. And it's getting worse. Have Instagram and Snapchat. How many of you old people know what Snapchat is? Three of you, okay. Twitter, we all know what that is now. Facebook, text messaging. Even though it's getting worse, it's nothing new. And it can happen to the best of us. 
I'm reminded of Phillips Brooks, a famous pastor of 150 years ago. You might remember him. He wrote, Old Little Town of Bethlehem. You know him? Well, he was in his office one day pacing back and forth, pacing this way and that way. Somebody asked him, what's wrong, pastor? Phillips Brooks said, well, I'm in a hurry and God isn't. You ever feel like that? God, I need what I need and I need it now. God says, wait for me. Proverbs 16.32 says, better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, along with other characteristics. We know we're supposed to be patient, and that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Sometimes it can be the most difficult thing in the world. Someone said, patience is the ability to keep your motor in idle when you feel like stripping all your gears. You ever feel like that? Joseph was righteous. He was compassionate. He was patient. And he was obedient. Go to verse 20. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Joseph didn't know it when he first found out about it, but God had a plan, a greater plan than he ever could have imagined. Mary would be the mother of the Messiah, the one the Jews had longed for and heard the prophets talk about for hundreds of years, and Mary was going to be his mother, and Joseph would be his adopted father and raise him up in his carpenter shop. But neither Mary nor Joseph really understood fully all that Jesus would be and all that Jesus would do. They didn't know about the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, you don't really read anything in the Bible about Joseph after Joseph and, and Jesus and Mary are in the temple when Jesus is 12 years old. And most scholars believe that Joseph died before Jesus ever entered into public ministry. And neither Mary nor Joseph could have known the impact that Jesus Christ would have not only on the Jewish world, but on the entire world. And for thousands of years, countless millions of people's lives would be changed because of the coming of Jesus Christ. He didn't have the whole picture, but he has enough now to know that he can move forward. Sometimes we don't have the whole picture either. 
Sometimes it may not seem like it, but God has a plan for you as well. Now, it doesn't always work out the way that we planned for it to work. If you've been in Discover Northside, you've probably heard me tell a little bit of how I was called into the ministry. I majored in business in college, and uh, when I graduated from college, I figured, well, I'll just get a job doing something in business and live in the St. Louis area for the rest of my life where I grew up. But I went to 15 different interviews after I graduated from college. How many of you have ever been to 15 different interviews before you got the one job you were looking for? Probably not many of you, okay? Most of the time, they didn't want me, I have to be honest. There are a few times when it's like, ah, I don't think this is the right place for me. But along about interview number 13, you know, one of the reasons why they probably didn't want me is when they would ask me, well, what's your goal? What do you want to do? And I'd be like, well, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And if this business can help me to do that, you know, that's, it's like, that's probably not the answer they're looking for. But anyway, somebody finally said, you need to go to seminary. It's like, you may be right. So I'm going to pray about it, and the first day of classes at Southern Seminary in Louisville, I knew that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's where I'm supposed to be. You never know. Someone a lot smarter than me once said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. That's pretty good advice, is it not? Someone who knew a lot more about God than him wrote these Holy Spirit-inspired words in Romans 8.28. Perhaps you know them. It says, and we know that God is at work for the good of all of those who love Jesus Christ and are called according to his purpose. He doesn't say everything that happens to us is good. He says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and follow God, His purpose and plan for their lives. Let me illustrate. Perhaps you've thought about this before. How many of you in here like cake? All right. Lots of you do. Got two hands up in the back. I understand. Some of you like me on this keto diet. Half the church, I think, is on it sometimes. Anyway, not, not eating sweets right now. But, but we all, most all of us, we like cake. But probably none of us enjoy all of the ingredients that go into the cake by themselves. Think about it. How many of you, when you go home today or go out to a restaurant to eat, you're going to order a cup of flour. Say, yeah, I just need me some cup of flour. I'm going to be good. This is going to be great. How many of you love eating raw eggs? Yeah, rocky, right? Yeah, raw eggs. Pretty good source of protein, but not exactly very appetizing. How about sugar? We all like sugar. But you're probably not going to go home today and after you eat lunch, Say, you know, I kind of got a hankering for something sweet. I'll just pour me a cup of sugar and I'll just start eating it. You're probably not going to do that, are you? Got one, okay. Most of us are probably not going to do that, are we? But you know, if you take those eggs 
and you take that flour and you take that sugar you take all the other ingredients that go into that cake and you put them together in just the right amount and you put it in an oven and you bake it for just the right amount of time, what happens? Out comes this beautiful, delicious cake, right? It's wonderful, right? The ingredients in and of themselves, not so much. But you put it all together and it makes something amazing, right? Unless you cook like I do, you'll probably ruin it. But it's that way in life. Not everything that happens to you is going to be good in and of itself. Some of those things are going to be bad, to be honest. Some of those things are going to be hard. Some of those things are not going to make sense to you. But if you take everything that happens to you in this life and you give it all to God, you say, here it is, God, you put it together. And you allow God to put it in his so-called oven and let God let it bake for the amount of time that God chooses to let it bake. God can make something beautiful out of your life. Do you believe that? And the greatest thing that he can do in your life is conform you into the character of Jesus Christ. See, the greatest thing that can happen to you is not that you're going to be rich or famous or popular or live to be 100 and never have a headache. The greatest thing that can happen to you is one day you will hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all that's going to matter for us 80 years from now. For some of you, it's going to be a lot shorter than that, but you can figure out who you are. Anyway, that's all that's going to matter. And God's goal for you in this life is not simply that you be comfortable and simply that you enjoy all the circumstances around you. God's goal for you is to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Moment by moment and day by day. And to use you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a world that desperately needs to know him. They might know him and follow him as well. And as you do that and I do that and we do that together, watch out world. Because God can use us to lift up his name. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. He's looking for a people that he can use. People just like you. People like Mary and Joseph. Nobody expected them to be the ones who would parrot the Messiah. God may be calling some of you to do things that you have no idea how amazing it might be in one of these days. As you trust in God and you follow God, watch out world, because we serve an amazing God. Let him use you for his glory. I close with this. I think Bill Keene's comic strip family circus community at Symphony Communicated simply yet beautifully. As the children were setting up their nativity set, little Dolly held up the baby Jesus and declared, Here's the star of Bethlehem. See, Mary's not the star. Joseph's not the star. The wise men are not the star. Jesus is the star. As we lift him up, he draws others to himself. Would you pray with me?